Let me uh, just say welcome back to RUF and just to say, you know, I realize there might be people here that are here for the first time uh, to RUF and I just want to welcome you wherever you are uh, on your journey with Jesus, whether you're not sure you believe this stuff at all or whether you're doing great spiritually and never been better, wherever you are along the way, you're welcome here. And we want to say welcome to you. Then also, I realize some of you uh, probably are really struggling and you feel very broken and bruised uh, by sin and by the effects of a fallen, broken world. And we want to say uh, to you, welcome as as well, because we want this to be a place uh, where people can come and really be pointed to our only hope, which we believe is Jesus Christ. We believe he's the only one that can put the broken parts of our life back together again. And so RUF is not about preaching ourselves. We're about preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified for that reason. Um, So welcome uh, to RUF. Also, if you have your announcement sheet, if you could look at two quick announcements. Um, I want to just reiterate summer conference to you. Uh, You see the details there before you get on the website, check it out. But in my opinion, it is one of the best things that RUF does the entire year. And the reason why I say that is because there's no other time in your life, trust me, uh, since I've been out of school, this has become more and more true, but there's no other time when you have opportunities like this to gather with your friends, particularly at the beach, uh, and to hear the incredible teaching that you would hear at something like an RUF summer conference um, through the seminars on a variety of topics and through our uh, main sessions that are going on throughout the week. And so I hope that you'll really, really consider that. It's the week right after finals, uh, and it should be a great time. We've got a lot of interest so far. So you can sign up on the website. If you have more questions, talk to myself, talk to George uh, Ham. He's an intern here in the front. Then Mary Catherine Hewitt, uh, talk to her as well. Then the second thing is, as you'll see there, if you're interested in serving RUF or being a part of what we're doing on the campus, During the month of April, for those three or four weeks, we are going to have a seminar slash Bible study for one hour, and we're looking at Sunday at like four. Uh, But if you've been around RUF a while, you don't have to be a freshman, you can be a sophomore or junior uh, or senior, an upcoming senior, um, and you just want to get more involved and more plugged in and be a part of what we're doing, we invite you to come to that. And so that's open for everyone that longs to come and, and serve more uh, intently uh, and in a very specific way in our ministry. So I hope you'll be thinking about that because that'll be coming up pretty quick when we get back from spring break. All right, if you have your Bible, turn with me. To 1 Corinthians 7, you'll see the text printed for you on the outline and the outline on your announcement sheets. About a year and a half ago, I took my entire family, all our girls, Susie and I took to Disney World. It was our first trip to Disney World and my girls absolutely loved it and I could tell you lots of details about that trip. Uh, But my oldest, Kate, who's six years old, absolutely is in love with Cinderella. We went to the Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique, and 
She got all dressed up in her Cinderella dress, and she got all made up and looked like a princess. And then we went over and we had uh, uh, lunch with Cinderella in Cinderella's castle. And so we had a big time. We're in the parade, and if, you know, if you're dressed up like one of the princesses, uh, that princess, Cinderella, will come and find you oftentimes and point you out and give you a hug and make you feel like a million dollars. So we had that at, this, uh, at our trip to Disney World. Uh, and I tell you that story to say, like, she, you don't have any idea how much she loves Cinderella. She has the DVD memorized. And in case you don't, let me refresh your memory. Cinderella is a beautiful young woman, and her mother has passed away, and her father decides to remarry. You know the story. Her father remarries an evil, wicked stepmother who has two nasty little girls, Anastasia and Drizella. And the wicked stepmother refuses to let Cinderella out of the house to let her enjoy life. She makes her do all the worst chores in the house, and when it comes to the upcoming ball that the prince is hosting, she will not let Cinderella even go to that. But then you know what happens. Here comes the fairy godmother to rescue Cinderella. Cinderella goes to the ball. She dances with the prince. They fall in love, and after a minor... uh, crisis involving footwear, Um, they then get married and they live happily ever after. And you know, if we're honest tonight, we love the idea behind Cinderella. And I would say even guys, that's why guys like movies like Hoosiers and Rudy and The Miracle and the Remember the Titans, there's something about those movies that guys love deeply. And that's why we love stories like Cinderella, because deep in our hearts, we want that to happen to us, don't we? But you see, the problem comes when it doesn't happen. And then we're left casting God as the only other character in the story, the evil, wicked stepmother who is keeping us from fulfilling all of our dreams, particularly when it comes to our relationships. And then we find ourselves begging God for our deepest longings. And when he doesn't deliver, we become jaded and we become cynical and wondering and doubting whether or not he's really good. And I would say that's where some of you are. Maybe most of you are there tonight in regards to your relationship status. Some of you feel very jaded and very cynical about God and you have casted him as the wicked stepmother because you're not in a relationship or you haven't found that someone special. Friends, tonight one of the main things I want to talk about is that I think we have deeply missed something when it comes to our knowledge of God and who he is. And the thing I think we have missed is his goodness. And tonight, more than anything else, what I want us to see and what I want to convince you of through the Bible is that God really is good and that you really can trust him, particularly in this area of relationships. So let's pray and ask God to do that. Ask him to convince us tonight of his goodness. Let's pray. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you come? Um, our hearts are often filled with unbelief. Uh, unbelief uh, about your character and your nature. And so we pray that you would come and minister to our hearts uh, tonight and really convince us more of who you really are. Uh, Father, I pray that you would bring about change uh, for how we view you, but you would also uh, lead us to contentment over our relationship status, uh, whatever that might be. I pray that you would work in our hearts in such a way that we would not um, use this point in our lives to be self-absorbed, but instead you would push us out into the world around us to serve and to love other people. Uh, Father, come and point us to Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. I have a friend who is a pastor. And he recently told me, he's 33 years old, and he recently told me about this story of him going to preach at a church. And he was the guest preacher on this Sunday morning, and he says the, the pastor um, gets up and he starts to introduce him, and he's saying all of these wonderful things about him and how great he is, and you know, talks about where he went to undergrad and where he went to seminary and his hometown, his family, they had a connection with their family. And then the pastor gets a huge smile on his face and starts to chuckle a little bit and says, but you need to know something about our guest preacher. He is single. And everybody <laughs> starts to laugh. Uh, and, and the implication was that, you know, we need to help this guy out a little bit. He's 33 years old, you know, he's a pastor, he needs to get married, we need to find him a wife. What's the point? Well, the point is this, this man introduced my friend and defined him by his relationship status, not by his redemptive status. In other words, he defined my friend as a single man, not as a pastor, and not as an ordained minister of God. How about you? How do you identify yourself tonight? Who are you? Do you identify yourself as a single Christian or a Christian single? You see, the Bible, if it says anything at all, says we are def to define ourselves. And that's really been the theme of this whole series in a lot of ways. Even this idea, last week we talked about sexual brokenness. The point was to try to convince us that you are not defined by your sexual brokenness. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. You are a child of God, a child of the King. The same thing here. How do you define yourself? What's your identity? Is it first and foremost a child of God, a child of the King, or is it in your relationship status? Tonight we're going to talk about singleness, and to do that we're going to look at three points. The calling of singleness, the contentment in singleness, and then lastly we're going to look at singleness as an opportunity to serve those around us. First of all, let's look at the calling of singleness. Look at verses 7 through 9. Paul was a single man, the Apostle Paul. And in this passage, look at what he says, verses 7 through 9. I wish as all were as I myself am. Basically, he's saying, I wish that all were single, 
But each has his own gift. One has this gift, the other one has that gift. And so we learn very quickly three things about this calling of singleness. Here they are. One, we learn that singleness is a gift that God has given us. Secondly, we learn from these verses is that not everyone has it, and some of you are going, thank goodness, that not everyone has the gift of singleness. And then the last thing we learn is that this gift of singleness is actually for other people. That the gift of singleness is actually to be used to build up the kingdom of God. You know, oftentimes we get into this thinking that singleness or not being in a relationship is a curse. That somehow we are not a complete person and that those people that are really married and doing well and have a relationship, those are the people that have arrived. And even in the church, such as the opening illustration that I gave, the church often looks at singleness as God's plan B for the Christian life. But Paul says nothing could be further from the truth, doesn't he? Paul says that neither marriage nor single is to be held on any higher spiritual plane than the other. Why? Because both singleness and marriage are gifts from God and they are to be used to build up the body of Christ. They are to be used to build up other people. And it's funny when you think about this in in terms of the body of Christ, that this is the only gift in the body of Christ that no one wants. Isn't it? It's the gift of singleness. We pray for teaching, the teaching gift, or we pray that God would give us the gift of evangelism or service or mercy, but we pray, God, whatever you do, please don't give me the gift of being single. Reminds me of the movie, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies, Christmas Vacation. It's one of our traditions in our family to watch Christmas Vacation every year. I love it. And if you've seen the movie, you know it kind of revolves around uh, him getting that end-of-the-year Christmas bonus. And he waits and waits because he, he can't wait to get this bonus because he wants to put in a swimming pool for his family. And then finally, in the 11th hour, the knock on the door comes and the mailman delivers this letter And Clark Griswold, who's played by Chevy Chase, thinks that it is his Christmas bonus. And when he opens it up, you know what he finds if you've seen the movie. He finds a year subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. Randy Quaid, who is Cousin Eddie in the movie, then looks at him in that famous line and says, Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. (laughs) And at that point, Clark gets so frustrated that he snaps and he says, I want my boss, Frank Shirley, in a big red bow right here tonight. That's what I want. You know, Cousin Eddie actually goes and kidnaps this dude and brings him to their house. And while I share that, I think that's often, the reason why I share that, that's often the way we look at singleness and not being in a relationship. It's not just a year-long subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. We often see it as a lifelong subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. Because no one's excited about that gift. And so the question that you've all been waiting for and that you're really here tonight to find out is how do you know if you have the gift? Verse 9. Verse 9 gives us a clue. It says, If they cannot control themselves, 
They should get married. People with the gift of singleness are not burdened by being single. They are able to have self-control in terms of their sexuality. And they're not burdened by it at all. Think about it in these terms. How do you know that you have other spiritual gifts in the church? And there are many. Teaching, evangelism, those sorts of things. How do you know you have the gift of teaching? Well, it's not a burden to you. You love it. It's one of the ways you know you're gifted in it. How do you know you have the gift of evangelism? Well, you love evangelism. It doesn't burden you. It doesn't scare you. It doesn't cause you, uh, you know, to have knots in your stomach when you think about sharing your faith with another person. And so how do you know you have the gift of being single when singleness is not a burden to you? In other words, if you're here tonight and you dread with all of your might being single for the rest of your life, and if you are concerned about singleness then chances are you don't have the gift of singleness. In fact, I would say that the majority of you in this room tonight don't have the gift of singleness. Why? Well, because people with the gift of singleness do not come into a semester series on sex, dating, and marriage. (laughs) And so you can take a deep breath now because more than likely you don't have the gift of singleness. Most of you have the gift of marriage. You're just not yet married And so you're in what we call a season of singleness. I do believe, though, that there are two idols that we tend towards in this idea of singleness. Two idols that draw us away from Jesus. The first one is an idol of independence. Idol of independence is the person that hates commitment. They just want to live their life. They want to live life on their terms. It's all about them. They want to do what they want to do, and they don't want anyone telling them where they should be and when they should do it and how they should spend their money. That's an idol of independence. They just refuse to be committed and refuse to be tied down. Well, then you have the other end of the spectrum, the idol of dependence. Those are the people that if they do not get married, they are going to die. Because married, when they get married, they will have arrived because marriage to them is the goal in life and life will finally be good to them. These are the people that if they do not have a ring by spring of their senior year, then their whole college career is absolutely a failure. Those are the people that have an idol of dependence when it comes to singleness and marriage. You see, singleness is a calling. It is a gift. And according to the Bible, every single one person in this room except Mary Catherine and myself are single according to the way the Bible defines it. Even if you're dating someone. And so the question is, how will you use that singleness? Will you use it for God's glory and for His kingdom and for the sake of other people? Or will you use it for yourself? That's the first Thing, the calling of singleness, point number one. Secondly, the contentment in singleness. I want to make this point not necessarily from the passage in front of us, but really from a theological belief that comes from the whole of Scripture. A theological belief that comes from Genesis to Revelation, and it is this belief that God is good. 
And because God is good, it means that you are single tonight because God has been abundantly good to you now and this very moment where you are in your life. And I realize that in your mind, some of you believe that. You're like, yes, this is exactly where God has me and he's being good to me in this moment. And I realize how hard that is, though, to be believed in your heart because deep down you long for meaningful relationships, don't you? You long for significant relationships and when it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon, we start to obsess over it the closer we get to graduation. And it starts to become an idol and we wonder whether or not it will even happen at all. And then we tend down and we start to walk down this road to where we start to believe false things. What are some of those false things? Well, we begin to say things like, well, when I get fully satisfied in God, when I am 100% content, then God, you know how it goes, God will bring me that significant other. As if to say that the blessings of God are earned by our contentment. God doesn't work that way. It's nothing that we've earned. Singleness is not a test to earn God's favor because that makes singleness out to be another form of works righteousness that the Bible completely pushes against because in the Bible we see that Christianity and God works through a gospel of grace. Or maybe if we don't go down that road, we start to think, well, then I'm just too picky. So I've got to lower my standards and enlarge my fishing pool and simply settle. You know, sadly, that's what tends to happen to a lot of people. That belief that God is somehow frustrated with your emotional ups and downs. That God is somehow frustrated with your fickle whims. Therefore, he needs to broaden the parameters in order to work in your life specifically. And if you don't go down that road, maybe, road, maybe you've fallen in the belief that in order for me to get someone wonderful, then I've got to first be wonderful myself. The belief that God grants marriage to those people that are truly holy and sanctified more so than other people. And friends, it's not true because I can tell you from my own life, I have no idea why God allowed Susie, my wife, to fall in love with me. But I can assure you, it was not because I had reached some spiritual milestone in my life. Beneath every one of those statements is a premise that single life is a state of deficiency for people who are not fully formed enough to be marriage. To, to be married. And Paul in this passage is trying to trump that line of thinking. Paige Benton Brown, she's written an article on singleness. And listen to this quote. She summarizes Paul very well. I'm going to read it. She says, I'm not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband. Nor because I'm too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me because this is his best for me now in this moment in my life. Let me read that again. 
I'm not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband. Or because I'm too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me. And because this is his best for my life right now at this moment. You know, it reminds me of Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus says, which one of you, if he had a son, and his son asked for a loaf of bread, would give him a stone? Or who, if his son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? And then Jesus says, how much more then, if you who are evil, he's talking about me and you, would give good gifts to his children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him and those who are his children. Friends, God is good. You can trust him. He has your best interest in mind. He knows what he's doing. Are you in a relationship tonight? God is being good to you. Are you engaged to be married tonight? God is being good to you. Are you single tonight? God is being just as good to you. Friends, the Bible teaches that God is in control of every single detail of our life. And what that means is that tonight, that wherever you are relationship-wise, it is exactly where God wants you to be. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in your heart? Or do you still believe, or does part of you believe that God is the wicked, evil stepmother that's trying to keep you from all of the fun and trying to keep you from going to the ball so that you can meet that special someone? You see, my prayer tonight more than anything else is that we would be so impressed with the goodness of God that whether we start a relationship tonight when this is over or whether we're never married in our entire life, that we would be able to look at God and say, God, you are good and you have been good to me. There's some other applications, though, that I think flow out of this idea of God being good, and here they are. Because God is good, you can wait on Jesus. Because God is good, you don't have to manipulate every relationship that you get into to try to get the girl or the guy to stay with you for fear that you will be eternally doomed if you break up. And likewise, because God is good, it means that you can get out of bad relationships. Some of you are stuck in bad relationships now, but you're scared to get out because you think that there is no way that God's going to provide anyone else for you and that you're going to be single for the rest of your life if you get out of this bad relationship. That is a failure to believe in God's goodness. Or lastly, because God is good, you can rejoice with your friends who are in relationships even when you're not. You see, this is hard And it won't be easy, but your hope will be in him because you know that God's ways are right. That God's ways are true and perfect and good. Lastly, singleness is an opportunity to serve. Look at verses 25 through 36. 
you've been coming to RUF a while, uh, and particularly this semester, at first glance, when you read this, this might sound a little contradictory. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, other places in the Bible, and particularly other places that Paul writes, it seems that Ephesians 5 being one of them, that he has a very high view of marriage. But then here, it seems that he seems to be elevating a high view of singleness. Here's what Paul's doing. Here's his argument. Basically, he's saying that whatever state you're in, whether you're married or whether you're single, that you should be about one thing. And that is the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, single or married is not your ultimate calling according to the Bible. Your calling instead, that is secondary. Being single or married is secondary to being brought into the kingdom of God and then moving out and taking God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. The two greatest commandments, believe it or not, in the Bible are not to get married and have sex. The two greatest commandments, whether you're single or whether you're married, is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it's by those things that we advance God's kingdom, His rule and reign in the world around us. Why am I telling you this? What's the point? Well, the point is this, that oftentimes singleness becomes a period in our life where we can become incredibly self-absorbed. Where we can say, I'm so glad I'm single. I don't have a girl that I need to spend my money on. Or I'm so glad I'm single because I'm not going to be tied down and I can do whatever I want. And I'm going to use my time as my time. And what Paul is saying here is that singleness... Don't think that way because it's an incredible opportunity to further the kingdom of God in the world. He actually almost says it's a better opportunity as a single than being married. Where do I get that? Look at verses 32 through 35. The reason why Paul says it's good for a man not to marry is that he has other opportunities that married people simply don't have for the kingdom of God. You see, the married man or woman... Because God is good, because God has given them the gift of marriage, most of their time is spent ministering to their spouse and to their children. You see, once you're married, things change, and that doesn't mean it's bad, but it just means that they're different. For example, I can't tell you how many opportunities over the last six or seven years I've had to go on missions trips, a way to further the kingdom in the world, missions opportunities that I have, would have jumped on as a single person and could have done, but I actually had to say no to. Why? Because I've got a responsibility, responsibility to my wife and to my children at home. So will you see tonight your singleness as an opportunity to serve and to move out into the world and to love people, or will you See it as an opportunity to pout or to whine about your status. Friends, pouting and whining will totally paralyze you because they will keep you from understanding the place that God has you at this point in your life and keep you from moving out into the world around you. 
in this point in your life, in college, in this season of singleness, you have so many incredible, incredible opportunities to move into and move into people's lives in a very meaningful and thoughtful way. But oftentimes we sit around and we start thinking about how lonely we are. And we forget about all of the people that God has surrounded us with. Don't be so self-absorbed. Don't be so discouraged and frustrated by being single that you miss the people around you in your sorority fraternity, on your hall, in your social circles. Don't miss the people who desperately need a friend, who are dying for someone to talk to, and who are dying for someone to actually talk to them about Jesus. Don't let your pouting paralyze you. But you, or your singleness paralyze you. Find someone and love them. I get asked all the time, Jason, what can I do to prepare for a relationship? That's easy. Practice loving somebody. Practice serving someone. Why? Because that's what a relationship is. That is what marriage is. Being single is not an opportunity to get mad about what you don't have but it's an opportunity to get busy loving someone else. Stop thinking about your singleness and move out into the world and serve another person. As I said earlier, I'm a father of four girls now. You get to count my wife. I've got girls all around me. And I have watched the princess movies more times than I can count, all of them. And so I have, one thing I've noticed is through these movies, these Disney movies, is that really they're all the same, aren't they? <laughs> that they all have the same basic plot line. There is a time in the movie when everything is wonderful at the beginning and then a great problem is introduced and then the climax of the movie is when that problem is dealt with and then comes the great resolution at the end when things are even better than they were in the beginning. But as I've watched the Disney movies, I've realized that that story is also the story of the Bible. I mean, think about it. The story of the Bible is a story about a good king who creates and loves his people and governs over his people with all wisdom and love. But his people reject that. And they actually think that they can govern themselves better on their own, and so they reject their king. But the king loves them so much because he knows that his courts are the best courts to dwell in. And so he's willing to do anything to get his people back and to spend eternity with them. And so the king sends his one and only son down into the world to die on a cross, and through that death on the cross, he secures a relationship with his people forever and ever. And then there's the great resolution. At the end, when the king will return and he will bring down the new heavens and the new earth and things will be even better than they were in the beginning because now instead of a garden, he has ushered in a city. You see, and the reason why we love stories with a happy ending is because, friends, you were built for the happy ending. 
And the good news is that happy ending is guaranteed if you are a Christian because of what Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross. You see, the story of the Bible is the story on which all other stories are built upon. Because it is the story, friends, that is imprinted on your soul. And it is this story, in this story alone, that we must find our identity. Where is your identity tonight? Is it in your relationship status? Or is it in your redemptive status? The fact that you are a child of the King and that He loves you deeply and He loves you personally and He has your best interest in mind and He has you wherever you are exactly where He wants you to be. Do you believe that? Let's pray.